0: Hey there, before we get started today, I just wanted to say a big thanks to Vitaly and Charge B for sponsoring this episode, which allows me to continue producing Churn FM as an independent creator. Vitaly came in at a vital time for me and perhaps they can for you too. If you're looking to maximize the productivity, visibility and collaboration of your CS team while increasing NRR and streamlining operations, Vitaly is the all-in-one custom success platform to help you do just that. They're also currently giving away a free pair of AirPods to all ChurnFM listeners when you take a qualified demo with them. So if you're in the market for a CS platform, visit vitally.io forward slash ChurnFM today to schedule your demo and get your AirPods. That's V-I-T-A-L-L-Y yio forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. And in other news, Chargebee just launched their much-awaited 2024 State of the Subscriptions and Revenue Growth Report with an exclusive focus on retention strategies, pricing trends, and churn rate projections, based on a survey of over 300 subscription businesses. I personally got an early sneak peek, and you don't want to miss this one. To grab a copy, you can visit chargebee.com forward slash churnfm. That's C-H-A-R-G-E-B-E-E dot C-O-M forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. With that being said, let's jump to today's episode. Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Heaton Shah the founder and CEO of FYI, and other startups such as Kissmetrics, Crazy Egg, and Quicksprout. We talked about the biggest shift in the product development landscape over the years, why it's harder than ever to build and grow a business today, and why Heaton still launched FYI despite it all. We also talked about how Heaton categorizes customer attention into different buckets, why products should focus on targeting an already existing behavior instead of trying to invent a new one, and how Heaton goes about customer development. Heaton also shared his biggest learning about churn and retention after years of product development experience, the top three things that companies should focus on to improve customer retention, and his number one piece of advice for anyone who wants to build a new product today. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. for revenue in the door. This is churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth.
1: How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn.
0: You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to to retention and engagement.
1: Completely bootstrap, profitable and growing.
0: Strategies, tactics and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode.
1: Hey, Hiten, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. One of my favorite topics.
0: Awesome. It's great to have you. So for the listeners out there, Heaton is probably one of those that needs no introduction, but if you, if you do, he's the founder and CEO of FYI. FYI is a service that helps you organize all your documents in one place and find what you're looking for in three clicks or less. Prior to FYI, Heaton also built five multi-million dollar products and co-founded Crazy Egg, Quick Sprout, and Kissmetrics. He's also the co-host of the Startup Chat with our previous guest, FD, and an investment advisor in over 120 plus companies. So to say he knows a thing or two about building products is an understatement. Uh, so my first question for you, Heaton, is you've been building products for a long time. Like, What has been some of the biggest shifts you've seen in the product development space over the years?
1: Yeah, the number one biggest shift is, is the statement that some people have said and I've said a bunch of times, which is it's easier than ever to start building, start creating a product, even launch a product. It's harder than ever to grow a business off of that product.
0: Absolutely. And what do you think some of the reasons are for that?
1: I think the number one reason for that is the fact that today there are more opportunities than ever to basically build really fast. You can build with no code. You can build uh, really easily with Heroku and AWS and let's not forget Google Cloud and Microsoft Azure And then all these other tools like even Shopify and, you know, the knowledge is there. There are so many more programmers. There's things like Lambda School, right? So this whole like undercurrent to me is the fact that there is a lot of tooling. There are a lot of people and there's a lot of infrastructure that makes it really easy to build something that's a website basically that is more of like a web app. Uh, that people can sign up for and do something with there's also Now that we've had so many different hardware companies come out. It's also easier than ever to start a hardware company Yeah, all of this stuff has its challenges but these things are not very hard to do compared to 5 10 15 years ago, especially Definitely yeah. not 15 plus years ago when I started this stuff was unknown like we were we had Ruby on Rails and It was point one when we started at crazy like back in the day I don't even know where they're at now in terms of how far along, but it's been a solid 16, 15 years, you know, since that thing came out and things are different. It's just easier. And I I think that I can't highlight that enough. It's just easier. There's even companies like Zapier that make it easy to connect a bunch of apps together and build some kind of backend for yourself. I'm not even getting into some like more niche products like Firebase by Google and, uh, you know, all these other things are the fact that you can pretty much run a whole website or even an app using Airtable. So it's like the tooling is ubiquitous. The amount of tooling is ubiquitous and it's not hard to start something.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like you just really need to know how to Google and you can get started, I think. Uh, so, but then yep. out of that, I mean, you, you said as well that it's becoming harder to actually build a business around it. So... What, what are some of the reasons you think like it's becoming more and more difficult to actually build a business as opposed to just building the software like you needed to in the past?
1: So there are a lot of customers out there. Um, there are a lot of customers out there uh, and that is a positive. That's a plus. And what I mean by that is there's just more people on the internet than ever before. I mean, this is just like a sort of obvious statement, right? And with that comes like, something that you think would be easy, which is you can easily go and basically get these customers. I don't think that's exactly the case because everyone has that idea of we can go get these customers. So everyone's going after essentially a similar customer base. And that's for almost any market. You can be in a niche market and probably find customers and find a way to them that's a little bit different uh, than other folks that are out there. But at the end of the day, we're all going after the same pool of customers. There are a lot of marketing channels out there and a lot of marketing tactics, but there's only a few that actually have scale, such as Facebook, for example, um, or Google search is still a really big deal for most companies. And so this makes it so that you have tons of customers you can get. Absolutely. And then on top of that, you have everyone going after those customers. And then you have a limited number of channels that have really scaled. So it's harder than ever to make it so that you're actually able to grow a business and we're not even talking about your product itself and, and sort of the reason we're talking today, which is churn. We haven't yeah. even gotten into churn, uh, which I, I would actually more refer to as retention, yeah. uh, than churn. Cause I, I like the positive, not the negative. Um, sure. but you know, whatever, whatever way you look at it, churn usually implies, uh, it, it normally usually implies uh, a paid products, uh, software as a service product. Well, I think retention is a little, little broader.
0: Absolutely, and, and I think as well, like what you're saying now, as well in terms of competition and uh, the different channels being able to scale. Like one of the issues then becomes is like the customer acquisition costs, uh, trying to acquire customers today. And I think there's been a few different studies. I know, like from uh, Price Intelligently, ProfitWell, they came out and uh, showed the ch- the trends in customer acquisition costs growing. Uh, And one of those ways, like you say, obviously to combat and battle and be able to compete in channels is to have really, really strong retention. Um, So you're going at it again now uh, and starting out another product FYI um, with this in mind. So you already know that uh, things are a lot easier now. Anybody can spin anything up and start competing. Um, Channels are becoming more and more saturated. We're fighting, even though there's more customers, there's more of us fighting for those customers. So, what are some of the things you're thinking about going into FYI this time that you're going to be different, be doing different from the companies that you previously founded and built?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not even just saying this because we're on this call, but churn. We're focused on churn. We're focused on retention. We're focused on uh, making sure that companies get the value that, that they should. And we actually are very deliberate about this. We started out with a product that individuals love and wanted to make sure we built that. And we built that. Individuals can sign up for FYI, get a ton of value out of it. That's our single player mode. Right now, the number one thing we're working on is what we call FYI for teams, which is our version of multiplayer mode. And that mode is really all about making sure teams love our product. And teams won't love our product if they're not retained, right? Yeah. It makes no sense. It's like anti, anti-retention is the, is, is the lack of customer love.
0: Exactly. Uh, if you're not giving uh, love, if they're not giving you love and you're not uh, delivering value, they're going to be churning and leaving your service. Uh, so what are some of the things then when you're thinking about this? Uh, and I like it that you've taken the approach, like first of all, thinking about that single player mode and really focusing on that end user of the product. Because uh, more often than not, maybe we overcomplicate things in the beginning by thinking in the context of a team and our companies will be using it. But really, it's the individual users. Uh, How are you thinking about like retention in the context of individual users? What are some of the things you're looking to measure and track? Uh, And maybe give us one or two things you've looked into in ways of improving it.
1: Yeah, the number one thing we look at is literally our daily retention rate, which is what, you know, and it's cohorted. So of the people who signed up uh, last week, uh, let's say specifically on Monday, what percentage of those people are still around? And more importantly, we care about what percentage of those people come back the next day? Yeah. Um, and so I, I basically break break down retention into into basically buckets, and then I, and then I use those buckets to um, essentially align like our thinking as a company around retention. So I'll I'll sort of explain how we think about it right now. Basically, what we do is we take retention and then we basically split it into short term retention. Medium-term retention and long-term retention. So for okay. us, we're not a game; we're a SaaS product, right? We're a software product. If yeah. you're a game, your short-term retention is is measured in in like one to one one day, basically yeah. day one. Midterm is like day three to seven, and long-term is day seven plus. Right? That's not how we do it. What we do is short-term is week one, midterm is weeks two to four, and long-term is weeks five plus. So for us. Short-term retention, we're trying to answer two questions. Do people use a product after their first session? How many times do people use a product in the first week? Midterm retention, which is essentially two to four weeks, we're looking at does a product solve a painful enough problem for people? And is the problem a frequent one that people have? And then long-term retention is really, is the product a part of people's daily lives and or workflow?
0: Okay. I like how you've broken that up into the three different phases and having sort of key actions that you're looking to measure. Uh, on the term of frequency, because I think it is quite an important one when you look at uh, churn and retention, you mentioned like sort of gaming companies and uh, a lot comes down to those sort of areas where they're measuring churn and short, medium and long term comes down to the frequency in which they use the product. Uh, how do you go about measuring and looking at sort of what the natural use case and the natural frequency of a product like FYI is?
1: Yeah. Um, I think frequency is something you measure, but, but it's not necessarily something you can manipulate. And what I mean by that is a lot of people will try to send emails and push notifications and things like that uh, in order to get people back, right? And get that engagement, get that repeat usage. I don't really believe in that being the first place you go. What I believe in is spending a ton of time, almost like an ungodly amount of time, understanding people's behaviors and the reason is there are really no new behaviors you get to improve yeah you only get to improve existing behaviors a lot of this like some people would say oh jobs to be done and all this stuff i I like to get a lot of the cruft out of it and not talk too much about frameworks that not everyone understands simply put there are things that people on the planet not off the planet (laughs) are doing and of those things, you want to understand which of those can your software provide a better experience for. So for us, we realize that people have a big problem. First, we identify the problem, which is people have a their number one problem with documents is finding them across all the different apps they use, which is obvious from our value prop that you mentioned. What's not obvious is the behavior that we discovered after literally hundreds of interviews now and different surveying methodologies, and studying the market, is that people aren't looking to use a search box to solve this problem. They're actually looking to just find documents, period. And they want to do it in ways that align with their behavior. So the behaviors we learned after all that interviewing is basically they find the documents by going in the tools that, that they think it's in, the tool it's in. Usually it's tools because they don't remember where it is a lot of the time. Then they look at what's recently been modified shared with them what's recently been happening because a lot of times they're looking for documents that are recent or they're looking for documents based on the fact that someone shared it with them or someone also has access to it and they want to find it that way and so we built an interface that aligns with those three things and those behaviors and then the other thing we learned is that the the last ditch effort is people doing a search and so we yeah. have a search as well. So when you think about it like that, it's literally all about interviewing and all about figuring out exactly how people want to find their documents, not how people want to search for their documents. Cause that's two different ways to think about it. And what we learned is that people don't use search, even though it sounds like the obvious solution for finding stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think what you mentioned is like really critical is starting with that uh, problem. And then going through the research, like really just speaking to customers, like, I'm interested to hear your process in this, because obviously, you've gone through this customer development process quite a lot over the years, building the various products, like, What are some of the questions you're looking to try and answer in a survey or in a customer interview? And what does your typical process look like? Because I think more often than not as well is like when we get stuck into customer research and customer development, uh, often our own cognitive biases can like guide us down the wrong uh, path. And we sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if we believe there's a problem, we'll find the problem. Uh, how do you go about like ensuring that when you're doing these interviews, one, like you eliminate your own cognitive biases, but then two, also you're able to have uh, information that's easily sort of quantifiable and uh, measurable at the end that can actually action on. I just want to give a quick reminder that our sponsors of this episode today are Vitaly and B. Vitaly are giving away a free pair of AirPods to all qualified demos, so if you're in the market for a new CS platform, make sure to visit vitally.io forward slash churnfm today. You can also grab a copy of the latest state of the subscription and revenue growth report by visiting chargebeecom forward slash churnfm and let them both know that I sent you. Now back to today's episode.
1: I'm, I'm looking to get stories out of people. I want people's stories because those behaviors are, the, those are the ways that we learn the behaviors. So we ask people stories of like, when was the last time you were looking for a document and what happened? And they just went off and explained exactly everything they did. They explained things like, um, we, I, was, I was in a meeting and I couldn't find the document. And at first I just st- thought it was in Google Drive. And so I started looking around, I couldn't find it. And then I realized that like my coworker, John shared it with me in Slack. So I just went straight to John. I couldn't find it in the message thread. So I went to John and I asked John, where's that document? And this is all while I'm in a meeting and everyone's waiting for me while I'm looking for that document. That is a scenario. It's actually a common scenario. Um, And so that's one behavior that we found. And you notice like people went through a few of the behaviors already described. So to me, it's about getting stories. Whatever you're doing, if you want to figure out the behaviors that people have, go get stories from them when you interview them and ask them about the last time they had this problem, basically, especially once you've identified that this is the problem we're solving for your business. And that'll help you even think through things like frequency and how often does it happen. But really, for me, it starts with behavior because I can't determine frequency without knowing behavior because it's the frequency of the behavior that you're really trying to figure out. And we figured out that this behavior of needing to find your documents happens literally on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. And I love that you're tweaking it from the story angle. It's really like allowing them to be quite a lot more descriptive in the nature of the usage of a tool or a problem, as opposed to maybe a little bit more rigid question and answer style interview. Uh, at least for customer development stage, I think it sounds uh, like a, an interesting way to go. Um So, Let's uh, fast forward a little bit now as well into um, churn and retention uh, itself. So we talked a little bit about how you go about measuring it and how you're looking at it in the beginning. Like what is maybe one of your biggest uh, learnings or maybe biggest surprises you found throughout your time building products that had a big impact on churn but you never maybe expected it to have?
1: Early on, I didn't realize how, how great of an impact onboarding has on churn. Yeah, I know it sounds obvious now, maybe, but the experience people have during the first session greatly will determine how likely they are to come back. And so in the case of FYI, what we do is, and anyone can check it out, use fyi.com. It, it, it's a free product and we have paid plans as well. But the reason I say that is what I'm about to say. We have something called quick onboarding. By the time you hit our interface, no matter how many different apps you've connected, Our interface should give you a solid understanding of what the product can do for you right away. You should be able to see as many of your documents as we can show you right within that first experience, which really happens between two to five minutes. And so we spent a lot of our energy making that a great experience because that's the aha moment. All my stuff is here. When we say find your documents in three clicks or less, all your stuff has to be there. That takes a while. We have to ingest uh, the metadata about all your documents regardless of how many tools you use and how many you've connected so it takes a while so we needed to build something that made it feel like your stuff was there and it was your stuff and so that's where we spent a lot of our energy and so to me that's onboarding that's the first experience and in the past i kind of got lucky like with crazy egg we built an experience where you had to create your first snapshot we called it which is really like uh pick a page pick a set amount of time and get your first sort of heat map Basically, for a page that you want, and that was our onboarding. It was basically built into the one experience you're going to repeatedly get with the product, one that you're repeatedly going to have to do, which is create the snapshot. Uh, the The world has evolved, and, and that model of people having to create snapshots might not be the right one anymore. We've done some things around that, but back then, back in two thousand five, two thousand six, it was like revolutionary to be able to pick the page you want to track and get this sort of visual representation of it. Um, oh, <laughs> Right, and and it wasn't immediate. That was one of the problems. But the fact that you created it and now you're in anticipation of waiting and you're gonna come back tomorrow and look at it was a key driver. And so, for us, like back then, we just made onboarding the, the the thing we felt like you would have to do to get get value from the product and you would have to do repeatedly. And that's what made it work. And so this is the way I think about it, which is like that non that that thing that's now intuitive and a lot of people have shared, talked about, done tests on growth experiments on etc which is the fact that onboarding has a tremendous impact on uh on retention in in fact it's probably the number one thing i would be working on if i want to improve retention which is onboarding it wouldn't work on anything else frankly speaking
0: yeah, I think this has come up time and time again on the show. And it's like you said, it's almost one of those, count, not counterintuitive, but when you're first getting started thinking about the problem, I think the the more obvious thoughts is going to speak to customers that have churned and trying to understand what they're doing and then trying to fix that reason. But then when it comes down to it, it's really like uh, like you say, it's not, they haven't been able to get to the point where they actually understood the value uh so really investing the time and effort in onboarding is is critical i think one of the things i've also noticed about your products and uh, maybe you can uh, let us know why as well a little bit but uh, looking at use FII, i mean uh, if you go use uh all you really have is a button uh to sign up and similarly i think i don't know if it's changed but i remember in the past crazy egg had a similar approach where uh, like there was just really the on uh, the sign up button, and then it was a little bit difficult to find like the rest of the uh, site. you had to like click another button to actually like, scroll down the page or whatever like is there a specific reason, is there anything that you found uh, in experimenting with your homepage of your site uh, when it comes to sort of maybe onboarding or sign up?
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> the way we think about that is that people are there to take the next step, and either they're going to take the next step or they're not. So all we really care about is I'm taking that next step. I mean, it's that simple.
0: And, and then what's the next so,
1: step for FYI? Sign in with Google. Go go after it. Like get get your documents here.
0: Yeah, and then from like you say, you pulling that information. The next thing you said as well then was like in terms of the aha moment and getting them there, like really wanting to get them there as fast as possible you also mentioned that like there's a lot of work that's happening in the background and for a lot of companies as well, it's not always that easy to get to that aha moment immediately. And for some, it may take quite a bit of time until somebody actually sees that value and the reason for signing up. So uh, in your case, like what are some of the things that you've tried to do or look at uh, in the interim, like while you're building up people to this aha moment um, when you're thinking about in the context of onboarding?
1: Um, we think about the steps we make them take the order of those steps, like, like when should we make them integrate all those kind of things? I think those things are really important to us too. So, you know, like, do we, do we show them, uh, do we make them enter in their workspace name? Do we make make them uplo- upload a profile like picture? What do we make them do? So we think a lot about what do we make them do and what kind of value is that going to give them immediately? And in the long run, more importantly, every step is scrutinized around, does it help retention? or is it information that we really, really need? It has to be one of those two. It either helps retention or it's information we really, really need. All
0: right, and then when you say that, like it either helps retention or it doesn't, like, what are some of the ways that you're actually measuring? So you mentioned earlier you, you're you bucketing and you're putting together cohorts and then you're taking a look at how retention changes and impacts it over time, But how are you measuring like the product changes you're making and the impact that they have on churn? So I think like a lot of the time it's quite difficult to correlate specific changes, but I'm interested to hear like, because obviously like churn is an output metric and retention can be impacted in so many different factors. But I think the biggest impact really when it comes down to these changes in product. So how are you thinking about like the measurement and understanding the impact on retention when it comes to product changes?
1: Typically it's cohort. It's who's been exposed to what features. And so if we can make improvements and actually not let them out to the, to um, everybody, that's the key. Cause the improvements that we make, if they're, if everyone has access to them, then they don't matter as much as like, we can't measure them as easily. And so some people will look at it like we made these updates and they started on this date. So everybody after that, that date is exposed to that. And is our retention going up as a result? We tend to look at it like, well, either we can have a holdout group, which is a small percentage of users that don't get the new features, or we can split test it, which give half the, half the people one feature, the other half the other. Or we can even do the opposite of a holdout group, holdout group which is almost like a hold-on group, which is basically give only a small population of the customers those features and see if their behavior is different. Because retention is really about behavior. Are they coming back? And so it's all behavioral to me. And, and so the, the real right way to do it is not just cohort by time, but cohort by what they're exposed to. That would be the most scientific way to do it. And I kind of prefer that when possible.
0: When possible. But, and then also like in the context of that, I think one of the challenge when like running tests or looking at cohorts and seeing what they're exposed to is the time it takes in order to be able to understand and measure the impacts. Uh, specifically when you're thinking about something like retention um and maybe for like a, a regular SaaS business monthly subscription like uh you at least need to commit to 30 days minimum to understand like really if what the impact is going to be in 30 days is even too little in this case like what are some of the early things that you then try to understand when it comes to like the indicators is there any specific ways when you look at an experiment design that you, you start setting out some early indicators to get a a signals uh, of the impact it's having.
1: Yeah. I mean, early indicators for me are more about, do they come back? Are are more of them coming back the next day? I don't try to make it too complicated. I, I measure it on a very granular basis. Sometimes we'll look at it and be like, you know, if this product is something they can use multiple times a day, are they coming back to it? Are they engaging? Another aspect of this is depth of engagement versus breath. So are, when they come back, are they spending a lot of time in the product? What are they doing? Or is it a product like FYI where spending a lot of time in it today isn't necessarily what we want. We want people to come to it and then leave it leave because it. they yeah. found what they're looking for, right? So being able to know what the natural engagement cadence and depth and breadth is for your product once people come back is really important. So we're, we're, we're scrutinizing engagement in that way, which is when people come back, what are they doing? And unfortunately, like most products don't let you do that very easily because it, it's really about granularity of each customer, each user. Uh, even the analytics products that are out there are not necessarily the best at letting you see an individual user, everything they've done, and the fact that this user is constantly coming back or not. Right. So there's a bunch of aspects of that that we usually just use our database for.
0: Yeah. And, and like you says, well, like, I mean, this changes depending drastically on the product, but uh, more often than not, sometimes like people spending more time in your product is not what you want to actually be achieving. Like you actually want them to be spending less time and achieving the results faster. So maybe it's important to make sure you're aligning sort of how you are measuring engagement, uh, like the breadth and depth of it in relation to the natural uh, usage of your products as well. Exactly. So we have a question first time trying it out as well and uh, sent out a tweet earlier just to ask for any questions if anyone had uh, for you, Heaton. So we've had a question that somebody asked as well, uh, Ankit, and he's asked... Uh, how do you calculate churn and retention for a seasonal business? So for example, fantasy sports he's given, uh, and I know from your time, obviously at Metrics, and you've thought about these challenges quite a lot in terms of measurement and how to help your customers. So uh, do you have any advice for Ankit on like how he could go about uh, calculating churn and retention for a seasonal business?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I have two, two thoughts on that. One, if it's seasonal, make sure that when they do, when it is that season that they're engaged and retained right? Like that's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is a lot of seasonal businesses don't think about this, but to me, it's like, what can you do off season? Can you get them ready? Can you give them a summary of what happened last time? Can you help them do research? Can you just keep them in the game, so to speak, during that time? And what would it take to keep them in the game? Because these folks are passionate, typically, when the season's on. So if it's something seasonal, I would be I would hard pressed and I would be focused on thinking about exactly what people can do and what they will do with my product during the off season. And I'd be building those things in.
0: So you'd be looking at additional use cases for the product and for the tool over and above what they're naturally coming to you for as well.
1: Yeah. And that's all based on understanding behavior. What are they doing off season basically? Cool.
0: So uh, next thing like uh, I'm interested to hear is understanding your um, like product development process when it comes to uh, so in the beginning we shared like you said it's all about show now and you're really focused on like increasing retention when it comes to like product development. When it goes about prioritization and understanding what to build and how to build it, like what framework do you typically use uh, when it comes to making these product decisions?
1: Uh, around retention
0: around sort of like uh, you deciding on what to build next and how do you go about prioritizing the long list of feature requests that come in uh, so is it do you ever thinking in the lens through retention and like what impact is this going to have uh, and then how are you prioritizing around that
1: yeah the number one factor we think through is actually retention uh, when we think about features we we think about whether it's going to get retention or not there are a lot of other reasons to think about features, like is it gonna get acquisition or not, right? Are we gonna acquire people because of this feature or not? So I think we use that filter on everything. Like what what is this feature gonna help us accomplish? Is it gonna help us get more customers or is it gonna help us keep customers? And keep customers is really about retention for us. It's not just like, keep customers so they don't turn and they keep paying. It's literally about retention.
0: And then at the moment as well, so when you're looking at retention, we talked about like in the customer context, but when you're measuring it, what level are you measuring? Are you looking at a user level retention? You're looking at customer level retention. What are some of like, where's the main focus for FYI? Uh,
1: We are purely focused on building a product that teams love right now. And prior to that, it was about individual uh, people in a company. So, we care about that sort of person level, individual person level, more than we care about a company and them paying right now. And over time, obviously, that'll change, but we're always going to care about the individual person level uh, in addition to the company and company churn.
0: Cool. That makes a lot of sense. And I think definitely, at least, I mean, if if you think about it from a holistic level, is if you're really focusing on that individual Uh, like everything else just scales up with it. So if you're managing to achieve really good and strong retention, the individual level, it impacts uh, all other levels as well at the company and at the MRR or uh, customer level. So next thing I wanted to ask you is uh, I wanted to throw in a hypothetical uh, scenario, hypothetical thing is now let's say for some odd reason uh, you decide to take a new job at a new company, and uh, you walk into this company, it's not doing so great when it comes to churn and retention, and you've been tasked now to try and help turn things around. Uh, you've been given three months to try and make an impact. Uh, what are some of the things that you would look to do within those first three months to turn things around at this company?
1: Yeah, if I'm given three months to make an impact and it's a new company, uh, number one thing to do for me would be assess the situation. So what's going on with the in and out of users and customers with the product, and how much can I find out? So within the first week, I'm going around finding all the data I possibly can, and I'm answering a bunch of questions about the business. And those, those questions, uh, I actually haven't shared them before, but I actually call them, I have a framework for this uh, that my co-founder Marie and I came up with. So what we're trying to answer is who are your customers, what do they think about your product, where are they coming from, and why are they leaving you? And I'm looking to get that answer from basically anything that already exists in the company. What that helps me do is determine what gaps there are in those questions. And so if you're a marketplace and you have two types of customers, we answer those five questions for each type of customer. And then that, that helps us have a basis of being data informed about the business. And once we do that, then we can figure out, okay, what are the gaps in the data? And then we start filling those gaps with new methodologies, new things, whether it's more analytics or more qualitative data, user testing, whatever it is that makes sure that we have really solid answers for all those questions. So step one, figure out how to answer those five guiding questions uh, and what the answers are already. So who are your customers? What do they think about your product? Where are they coming from? When do they leave you? And why are they leaving you? Uh, As you can see, two of those questions are about churn right? Yep. When do they leave you? Why are they leaving you two of five? So we're, we're really 40% indexed on churn, which I think is great. Yep. Um, and then we basically figure out the answers we have, figure out what we don't know, go figure out what we don't know and get the answers to that. And that establishes the basis of, of picking what we should focus on. One of those five is typically where we focus, uh, on under, uh, not even one of those five. It's actually just being able to pick a metric. Uh, that we need to focus on typically when you go into a business these days You'll you you can hack the process although I don't suggest it because having a full picture helps get everyone on the same page um, and things like that um, You can hack it by basically saying oh, it's retention for sure But yeah. then you might have got it wrong
0: for sure But uh, and like you say it sounds like you're definitely full in at 40 percent of the questions being asked all around uh retention and uh churn when they're leaving so That's another thing then though, as well, like you're coming into this company and I'm always interested to ask like the opinion of uh, the guests, because I think it is, it varies from uh, company to company and individual to individual. But in the context of retention as a metric, like who do you believe should own this metric within a company? If anyone.
1: Product managers, all the product managers. I actually did a recent, you might want to link to this. I did a recent whole uh, study on 51 uh, job descriptions. And yep. none of them mentioned, none of them mentioned retention. And, and, and the emphasis on metrics is very light. So to me, it, it literally is all about, uh, product PMs, product managers owning it. If you have growth folks, growth folks are definitely going to own it. Um, so it's, it's one of the other or both. I don't, I don't think, I know there's companies that like, you know, if you're a SaaS company, you've got customer success that owns it and things like that, which is all great. They can own an aspect of it. But they can't necessarily move the needle on it as much as uh, product improvements that you can make.
0: Absolutely. And why do you like? What is the main reason that you believe that product should be earning it? Is it just purely because of the impact that the product has? In-
1: influence, okay. impact, and making sure that the features you add are 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 accounting for retention, because otherwise they're not.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. So. Interesting like yeah, I want to just get your maybe last question, and then we can wrap up because uh, I see as well running up on time. Um, but from your, all your experience now in building products and uh, you mentioned earlier like onboarding being one of the biggest areas that you'd focus and you're double down on, uh, if you had to maybe pick two other, two or three other areas where you think companies should uh, take a look and try and understand uh, a little bit better or would be a good area to start tackling channeler retention, what would those next two uh, areas be?
1: Yeah. So onboarding was one of them. Uh, the next area for me is, uh, the experience when people come back. So onboarding is about first session. Well, what happens when they come back? What do they see right away if they're coming back organically and organically means they're just logging back in. If it's a SaaS product or if it's an e-commerce site, they're just coming back to the site or if it's a mobile app, they're just opening the mobile app. What do they see? And this is the unprompted they just came back. We didn't tell them to come back. We didn't do anything right. Yeah. This, and so that's number two and and that's just like the people who are just coming back and where do they go to and what do you show them so if you if you just log them into a dashboard you don't necessarily know why they're coming back so understanding all of that can help you design that experience for what i call those organic customers that just come back without you doing anything then there's the third one which is i would go scrutinize all the things that you're doing that's getting people back all the messaging you have if people if it's a social product people are commenting on things or they're doing things and it's causing people to come back. Well, what are those things that are causing people to come back? Why are they coming back? What are they looking to accomplish? What's motivating them to come back and what's the experience when they come back? The reason is like, if these experiences are good, just like if your onboarding experience is good and I don't mean good, I mean great. Then basically people will keep coming back naturally because they want that experience again. We spent too much time focused on features and you know, not worrying about the utilization of these features. And instead, we should be really focused on, is it a great experience every time people come? And if it isn't, how do you make it a great experience? And a lot of that has to do with why are they coming back? What are you doing to cause them to come back? Also, what are you not doing that that makes them come back anyway? There's a bunch of these concepts that I would really study. And so it's onboarding. Then when they come back organically without you doing anything, what's happening? Where are they getting to? And then when they come back because of a reason that you're prompting them for, what's what are the reasons and what are they doing when they come back and what's the experience like and is it a great experience or not and if not make it better
0: yeah i I love it how like your answers come direct from the product lens Uh, and it's it is an interesting concept as well that like hasn't come up in the sense that we talk about onboarding so much like being the main area but uh, then like that immediate experience after onboarding is like okay you've managed to successfully onboard them they understand the value but looking into that experience the next time they come back uh, is almost as critical as well into ensuring that you're keeping them around and keeping them engaged. Um, That's right. What are some of the things though, in that that uh, you would work through with a company typically like to improve that experience? And like, what are some of the things that you see companies doing really wrong in that second and repeat experience?
1: They're not thinking about it, frankly speaking. I yeah. don't see enough companies thinking about those buckets and those people and really scrutinizing like, what's going on there and figuring out how to make the experience great. I mean, in short, companies don't look at that. They don't yeah. look at that second experience, that organic experience, all the prompts, they just end up st- setting up these things and letting them go. These emails, these notifications and not realizing how much impact they have, not measuring them. So the number one pitfall is they don't measure them because they don't, they're on to the next feature. They're on to whatever they're thinking about in their heads that they need to do instead of focused on basically the experience. So companies are not really spending enough time on the experiences and the different touch points that they have with the customer. And so the things that I would do are really um, make it very easy for people to do what they're coming back to do. And that can be a lot of different things that people are coming back to do. So it gets a little tricky, but at the end of the day, create customized like uh, experiences for each type of path you have that causes people to come back. That's, that's what I'd really be focused
0: on. Yeah, I think this is one of those biggest product development dilemmas that ends up happening. Is that the, the pressures that get put on you for additional features, often like always end up taking priority. Like if we if I look at uh, all the different companies that I've uh, been following and look at, and we often like completely forget about this experience, but more often than not, it's probably the most valuable aspect that you can be focusing on, like you say. Like this exactly. other aspect we talk about is this continuous onboarding as well is that like, We end up putting someone through an onboarding experience and then we might develop a few new features, but uh, we'll let them know once or whatever, but then we never really update and keep people, we don't bring them along with us. We don't keep on thinking about what the next time experience is like and it just becomes this feature factory as opposed to really helping and educate your customers get to what they want in terms of value faster. Exactly. It's definitely underutilized and underrated. Cool. So Hiten, like uh, I said to you, last question, but I, I think this will be the absolute last question. Uh, if, sure. you had, if you had to give uh, advice and just, it would just be one piece of advice to anyone starting out building a product, uh, what would you say to them being the number one thing they should think about now if they were starting out a new business uh, and a new uh, product?
1: Use other products and start writing down why, why you're frustrated by them and what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong in your opinion and just start building your own spidey sense for product. And the only way to do that is use a lot of other products in your category, outside of your category, start paying attention to the details. It's the details that matter. And so I would tell somebody who's getting into it to like start studying products, like any kind of products.
0: I love that and become a product expert. Uh, also looking outside industries as well is often not thought of, but you often get really great inspiration. Uh, from it uh, yep. yeah thanks very much for joining the show today like I really appreciate it. it's it been fast, fantastic having you and uh, wish you best of luck now going forward uh, with uh, FYI and hope to hear some great success stories coming soon yeah thanks And with that, I just want to say a big thanks again to Vitaly and Chargebee for sponsoring this episode. If you do decide to check them out at vitally.io forward slash and chargebee.com forward slash please make sure to let them know I sent you because tracking podcast advertising is traditionally very difficult and I want to make sure we deliver value to them both so that we can retain them as our sponsors. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week.